Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. The topic we are about to discuss is not one that I enjoy talking about. I'm certain you won't really enjoy listening to either, but please don't tune me out. It's the most important to consider how you and your family will plan for and react to our country's next financial crisis. And to begin, let's imagine a nightmare scenario that could occur very soon, perhaps even later this year or next. For the past several weeks, let's uh, say financial news has been tough. Stock market uh, dropped greater than 2008. The S&P has shed more than 50% of its value. Tame for years, inflation has begun to surge. Things cost more every time you go to the store. A huge surge in defaults on both business and personal loans. Foreign lenders have begun to fear the economy and are dumping U.S. treasuries and pulling funds out of the U.S. Currency speculators are abandoning the dollar, and its value is slumping against other major currencies. A few large banks too big to fail are over-leveraged and reported to be in trouble, and as rumors spread, a large number of folks are withdrawing their cash from the bank accounts. And unemployment is surging, and more and more providers are uh, turning to crime to feed their families. And there's riots in several major cities demanding the government do something. You know the government's always the answer to everything, according to some people. And the president comes on all major networks this evening to make a major policy address. You tune in, and he says to protect Americans and get our house in order, he is declaring martial law. Tomorrow will be a bank holiday, and a number of new federal policies and restrictions will be put into place right away. Now, I won't get into them now, but uh, let me warn you, it will radically alter the freedoms we have now and the manner in which we live our lives. And the scary events I just described are close to the uh, scenario presented uh, are confronting John, the main character in his family, in my guest Robert Maine's book, the day the dollar died, and uh, the good news is Robert's book is a novel and the characters and events are fictional, but the bad news, according to the author, Robert Baines, uh, John's financial trauma and forced lifestyle changes are all too possible and could happen in America in the very near future, and author Robert Baines is here to tell us why, and Robert has been a successful entrepreneur for more than 30 years. And as an entrepreneur, he can sense the unfortunate changes that are occurring in our country. He's very concerned about the direction we're heading with a $20 trillion deficit, not to mention $100 trillion or more in unfunded future liabilities from Social Security, Medicare, and other uh, promises the government's made. And he is attempting to alert others to the danger through his first novel, The Day the Dollar Dies, and he also offers highly informative blogs on his website and has appeared on numerous radio shows. And hello, Robert Baines, and welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, and Happy New Year. Hello, Roy. It's great to be here. Happy New Year to you, too. 
Thank you very much. Well, on uh, the recent day, back in December, on December 8th, the Wall Street Journal uh, reported stocks gains lift the Dow to new highs. The U.S. currency has strengthened 4.3% against the euro since our election, and it's approaching a 14-year high. It appears that most investors and currency speculators expect good economic times ahead. Why, in your opinion, is the U.S. economy far more fragile than the media and Washington want folks to believe? Well, uh, I think the dollar is strong right now because we're, you know, what you would call the tallest midget. Um, <laughs> you know, every or the one everybody's hurting. Can see better than the blind. <laughs> yes, and uh, so right now we look better than what's really bad. Um, but I think the issue that almost everybody's ignoring and pretending isn't there is the debt problem. Yeah. I mean, we have huge national debt. We have very large corporate debts. Uh, personal debts aren't at all-time highs, but they're still rather high. Yeah. And basically, our whole monetary system is based upon debt. Yes, that's true. It's amazing that you quote that the Federal Reserve has nearly quintupled the base money supply over the past five years. And are we all about the crazy thing is we haven't seen much inflation, but I don't see how they can keep creating more money without creating inflation. Well, the problem is we're kind of exporting our inflation. Oh, because the dollar has been the uh, reserve currency of the world, yeah. other countries are seeing inflation instead of us. Huh. Because all of our dollars are going overseas. A lot of them are. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Well, in your promotional material that you warn that America is just one crisis away from anarchy, martial law, or a complete government takeover, and what are some of the economic or political events that could light the fuse to an American financial crash? Those are pretty scary. Well, I know you listed a number of them. Yeah, uh, there's several things. One of them, the most likely I see is probably default. You know, oh, if we get enough people defaulting on their debt or enough corporations, yeah. that's very possible. Uh, another very possible thing is a bank meltdown. Yeah. Um, there are several major banks that are very fragile right now. Okay. Uh, Deutsche Bank is probably one of them that's been in the news recently that people yeah. know about. Yeah. And it's just, uh, you know... It's just on the verge of collapsing, and if that does, it could just trigger a domino effect and take yeah. several other banks with it. Yeah, if people start losing confidence in their banks, it could be a real disaster, obviously. Yes. Well, I know that neither you nor anyone else has a precise crystal ball, but how soon do you foresee economic collapse in America, or the possibility of it anyway? Yeah, that, boy, that, like you said, it's a very hard question to answer. Uh, I know Mark Twain said once, predictions are hard, especially about the future. And that's very true. Um, You know, it it could come out of the blue and surprise us and happen in the next few months. It might be another five years. 
the government is really good at <laughs> keeping yeah. things going for a long yeah. time out of yeah. a little bit of nothing. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. What uh, I remember there was one I, earlier this year. I got a email from a prognosticator that said we'd have a three thousand Dow by the end of the year. <laughs> mm-hmm. He sort of missed that one. <laughs> yeah, kind of like the uh, the people predicting the you know the. Uh, Evangelicals predicting the end of time and uh, Jesus' return, and uh, we don't know. As the Bible says, you neither know the time or the season. But uh, I guess that's, that's true. The same is true on the exact date of the uh, financial collapse. Well, your book was written in 2015, and we've recently had a presidential election, and lots of folks, including stock market investors, are highly optimistic that the economy mm-hmm. will pr- improve under a Trump presidency. Do you expect that Donald Trump will rein in the deficit and make America great again, or is that too much to to hope for? I really don't see how he can rein in the deficit. Um, I mean, right now interest rates are rising. If they continue to rise, if they were to go up to just 5%, yeah. we'd pay about a trillion dollars a year just in interest, and that's over a third of what we bring in. Yeah, um, and that's uh, amazing. Yeah, and in addition to that, he's talking about spending a trillion dollars in infrastructure. He wants to rebuild the military, build a wall. And reduce uh, corporate taxes, which, you know, we all heard that that will encourage more economic growth. But uh, still, that's pretty scary to go from 35% to 15% and yet expect that the deficit will go up. Yeah. Uh, now, the one good thing about lowering taxes, historically, uh, it's been often seen that when taxes are lowered, revenues actually go up. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, there are so many things he wants to spend money on, and I don't see how he can cut these social programs because... No, you even talk about that. It's like the third rail of politics, you know, even though some reasonable adjustments have to be made. Obviously, it's Social Security and maybe Medicare, but you start talking about that, you just about doom your elect- chances of re-election, I think. That's true. Yes, I agree with you completely there. Well, remarkably, little was said by either presidential candidate about our burgeoning U.S. deficit problem. That really surprised me this fall, or possible solutions. And given our country's critical solution uh, situation, why do you think that is? I guess I just mentioned one of it. Uh, nobody wants to elect somebody that, that has bad news. That's true. I, I don't think anybody that had a real plan for lowering it could get elected. Um, the other thing is, I I don't think any of them really know what to do with it or can do anything about it, so it's best just not to mention it. Oh, wow. That's a great way to uh, govern the country, isn't it? <laughs> just don't mention the tough things. But the... That's politics. <laughs> well, on TV and in the financial pages, we routinely hear speculation on the Fed's next moves, when will they raise interest rates? But as you uh, warn uh, that the Federal Reserve is pretty much backed into the corner, and I guess you explained why they're, they can't significantly raise rates in the U.S. If they do, the government will have a big problem. Like you said, it would be a, a trillion dollars uh, 
a year higher interest if we had a more normal, like, 5% interest rate. Right. Um, And now the scary part is, though, there are times when the Federal Reserve doesn't control the interest rates. Yeah. And that's, like right now, bond prices are dropping, so interest rates are going up without the Federal Reserve physically saying, we're going to raise interest rates. That's true. And uh, what's incredible is in the recently uh, in Europe that they actually have these bonds that the governments are issuing where they pay a negative interest rate. Yeah. <laughs> like you have to pay them money to, to keep your money. <laughs> and that's odd because the last figure I heard, there's over $15 trillion worth of negative interest rate bonds in the world. Wow. Just and what I don't it's, want. <laughs> it's hard to imagine why somebody would buy those. Yeah. Unless there's a huge deflation going on, I don't think that would be much of a deal. And then yeah, why just keep your true. cash. <laughs> well, it's pretty that's obvious. What I'm that, it's pretty obvious that the debt situation in the U.S. is out of control, and in mo- much of the world, what happens when the government reaches a point uh, where all its obligations cannot be met? What are the only choices they have then, if they ever reach that point? Well, typically there are basically two choices for governments at that point. They can either default on their debts and just say, we're not going to pay that or we're going to lower what we're going to pay. Yeah. Or they can inflate it away. They can just create so much money that inflation goes up to inflate it away. And typically that's been the most popular option is to inflate it away. If they default then your currency really loses confidence, and it can drop real fast. Have we ever gotten to a point where a government has actually uh, takes control of uh, all spending and distribution, says even if uh, we have the money, we can only buy what the government authorizes uh, (laughs) that we can have? Does it ever get to that kind of point where they just say the dollar isn't any good anymore? We'll we'll give you... Um, well, we haven't seen that in this country. Uh, Venezuela's got very similar situation at this point. Yes, I know they do. I would not want to live in Venezuela right now. That's for sure. But uh, no, no, that and and a lot of that's just because of the government manipulating everything. Yeah. Well, in your novel, uh, The Day the Dollar Died, the federal government takes control by declaring martial law. We can't cover them all, but what are a few of the steps that the government might take if indeed martial law were declared, and how would it impact you and me and our families? What are a few of those steps they'd probably take if they declared martial law? Well, I think what would create this situation is if... uh the dollar drops or we get enough defaults that dollars aren't worth as much and people can't provide for their family, crime will rise dramatically. Yeah. And when that happens, I think then we could very well see martial law. Oh, wow. And uh, my fear is that if the dollar loses enough value, at that point the government's got to feed all these people that were rioting. Yeah. Yeah. And... They can't buy the food, so they would have to nationalize farms and other food wow. production services. Yeah, that's, that's really scary. And uh, you mentioned things like uh, no phone calls after 9 p.m. and you, uh, the Internet shut down 
part of the day, and you have everything has to be registered, and the, the uh, government monitors all phone calls and, and nightly curfews, and uh, you know if you're out driving, you're subject to stop and search. <laughs> These kind of things are awfully scary, and would certainly impact our lifestyles for the the worst. Mm-hmm. But now um, we come down. To, oh, excuse me, if you had something else. Yeah, I was going to say, as far as uh, phone calls, you know, there are a lot of people with guns in the country, so if the government had to take over by martial law, yeah. the fa- first thing they'd want to do is shut down all communication. Yeah. Uh, because people cannot form a large enough group to present a, an obstacle to the government if they can't communicate. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Well, um, what are are there certain early warning signs that you and I should look out for uh, that would alert us that a debt crisis and a financial crash is imminent? What are a few of those? Well, I think if we start seeing inflation start to really go high, yeah. uh, that's a possibility. If we start seeing a lot of bank defaults, uh, that's a possibility. That happened in Cyprus when the banks were on the verge of default. The government just shut them all down and said, okay, there's a bank holiday. You can't get your money. Oh, wow. And people yeah, couldn't you, get their money out. You mentioned that uh, if the government uh, starts controlling the money system, like quit printing $100 bills, that might be something. That, or like yes. restrictions on transferring money out of the country or uh, ATM withdrawals and stuff like that would uh, be pretty scary. Yeah, they, there's already been talk. I mean, people have already suggested quitting printing $100 bills. Uh, you know, just a few weeks ago, India uh, suddenly said the larger bills would no longer be acceptable as currency. Hmm. You know, it threw the whole country into a mess. Wow. Um, but the government can't control cash. That's a problem. No. But if you have to have your money in the bank and do all transactions through a bank, then they can regulate and control every transaction there is. Yeah. Plus, they have access to all your money at that point, too. Yeah. Well, I know you're not a registered investment advisor, but in general, what types of steps would you recommend that uh, listeners begin taking right away to protect their families from hardship uh, during a, a potential financial meltdown? Is there anything we should be doing now to in advance to uh, protect ourselves? I can tell you a little bit about what I'm doing. Uh, I've actually got a couple of bank accounts outside the country oh, I and see. where I can actually hold money in different currencies other than yeah. the United States dollar. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you can always invest in gold and silver. Yeah. The, the problem is if you ever decided you had to leave the money the country, Gold and silver would be hard to get out on because yeah, of PSA, you, you you get searched for everything. Yeah. Bitcoin is an option. Uh, Bitcoin is an option where you can invest on it and you can access it anywhere in the world. Yeah, that's, that's what's up. As long as you've got computer access. That's kind of had its fits and starts, but I can certainly see that becoming more prominent. Yeah, it's had fits and starts, but boy, you know, I sure wish I'd invested in it when it first came out. Yeah, that's for sure. How easy is it to uh, set up these bank accounts in foreign currencies and and foreign countries? Is that that real complicated, or how would you go about doing that? 
It's um, not incredibly complicated. You know, there there aren't a lot of banks in foreign countries that want American citizens, but there are yeah. a few. It would oh. take some research to figure out which ones you could put your money into. Yeah. Um, some of them are more difficult than others to open. Uh, you know, any bank account you open anymore is going to take some paperwork and some filling it out. You're not going to do it and mm-hmm. be anonymous. You know, you're going to have to prove that you're who you are and yeah. that you're an upstanding citizen. Yeah. Um, and typically, a lot of these foreign accounts, they do have minimums. Oh, I see. Uh, I would assume they would. Of course, you wouldn't want to mess around with that. If it was just small amounts, it wouldn't do you much good in a, a crash anyway. So, <laughs> Right. Well, inside. you know, anything you can have out. You know, if you have a small amount, I almost think Bitcoin would be your best option. Yeah. Well, uh, personally, I watch the federal debt pile on and feel so helpless. What can ordinary citizens like me do to get the attention of our elected officials to get serious about debt reduction? You know, six years ago, the Tea Party helped uh, elect a bunch of new congresspersons and senators, but it hasn't done much good. So what can we do, if anything? Um, I'm not sure. The problem is, I think, too many people in our country are too used to being on the government handouts. Amen. And, uh, you know, and I'm afraid, you know, any politician that talks about lowering that debt won't get elected. I think Ron yeah. Paul was the last one that was really yeah. serious about it. Yeah, that's right. And he had some and, very loyal followers, but not enough. Yes, well, let's imagine a small miracle. Let's say a majority of voters come to their senses and elect you or someone who thinks like you as president, and your party elects veto-proof majorities in both houses of Congress. What are some of the first steps you would take to restore sanity and to enact laws and presidential directives to get us out of this debt mess? What are a few things we would do? <laughs> well, the or first thing you have to start <laughs> cutting down all all unnecessary governmental functions. Yeah. Um, and I think it would be good to return a lot of this power to the states. Yeah. Uh, the second thing is, a lot of people wouldn't like it, but you would have to start cutting social benefits. Yeah. You couldn't do it wholesale, but you would have to start working on it. Yeah, I don't know why they can't, uh, for instance, remove the limit on, uh, well, this isn't a benefit cut, but make the wealthy pay uh, Social Security tax on their entire annual income rather than just the first, what is it now, 100000 or whatever, something like that. But, uh, and, you know, you could exchange, put the year of retirement back a year or two, or, you know, there would be small changes we could do now that wouldn't be quite so painful, but... Uh, and also, you know, they could have restrictions on people receiving Social Security if they're earning high incomes in, in retirement. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, well, uh, and you could also cut out a lot of waste in government. Yeah. yeah government has a lot of waste in it. Uh, they can't. They don't run like a corporation or a company that has to make money. No. Well, what's wrong with this statement espoused by so many so-called experts? The size of our national debt really doesn't matter. We can create money at will, and we owe it to ourselves anyway. (laughs) 
What's wrong? Well, <laughs> that's a pretty common statement. We yeah. don't owe all of it to ourselves. No, that's we owe some of it to foreign companies. Um, and if you create money at will, eventually you get hyperinflation. Yeah, there's only that in so Germany. many resources and products out there to buy. And if there's more and more money chasing after it, <laughs> right, right. You know, if you're in business, are you going to take money that somebody else is just printing as fast as they can print it? Yeah. <laughs> you're you're not going to want to take that money. No. Uh, and then you have a real collapse. Yeah. Well, let's look beyond the initial financial debt crisis. How long do you anticipate the crisis will last? And will America eventually come out of the crisis as a smaller nation, or I should say a stronger nation, or will we go the way of ancient Rome or perhaps the way of communist uh, Russia years ago where, you know, central control of everything, which we know doesn't work all that well? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I... It's hard to say that, what would happen. I fear that we would be, we would be going the way of ancient Rome. Um, almost all countries at some point, you know, large uh, countries that control a lot of the world, they all fade and die away, and yeah. something else raises up. Yes, they do. Uh, and, you know... We don't go. We won't go on forever. I can pretty much guarantee you that. And I suspect this debt could possibly do us in. Uh, at least we may not be a nation that you would recognize. Yeah. Huh. Well, that's really scary to think about. But uh, I was going to ask you what the post-crisis America would look like in 2030. <laughs> but I guess it's pretty tough to tell at this point. <laughs> yes. Well, let's talk about your book, The Day the Dollar Died. You were a long-time successful entrepreneur. What inspired you to write this book in 2015? Well, I I realized back in 2012 that our debt situation was unsustainable and nobody was doing anything about it. And then I did a lot of research into what was going on, and I thought, well, maybe I should write a book to warn people. But there are other books by economists out there that warn people about our situation, where we're at. So I decided to write a novel because I think stories, people can relate to those a lot easier. Plus, I wanted something that was very easy for people to read. Yeah, that's Um, so true. That stories wake you up. I I know that story of John the Farmer really caught my attention. (laughs) Yes, and I'm hoping people can relate to that and realize how bad it could get and how quickly it could get there. Yeah, and who are your targeted readers? Who was the book written for? I guess pretty much everybody that's uh, concerned about what's going on. Yes, almost everybody. Uh, You know, typically it's more conservative people. Yeah. Uh, Christians, entrepreneurs, yeah. um, people that really see that, you know, debt is not just something that you forget about and don't worry about, yeah. but debt can be a real killer, and it can yeah. be a killer personally, uh, corporately, or even with governments. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, where should we go to preview and purchase your book? What's the best place to find it? Well, it's on Amazon. It's on Amazon, both in print, uh, Kindle, and audio version. 
And then I also have a website. Um, they can either go to the day the dollar died book dot com oh, or the day the dollar died dot net. Yeah. Uh, both 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 places will lead them to the same website. Yeah, I found that website. I noticed also on your website you offer a free exclusive resource about how to protect your family, easy and uncomplicated. How do we obtain this resource? I guess you just give your name and uh, email. And, yes. And, uh, yeah, you give your email address um, and your name, and then you can just download it from the site. Oh, that's great! Yeah, that's the I it went to the day the dollar died net dot net or the day the dollar died died book dot com. Either one gets you the same place. Yes, it gets you the same place. Well, in conclusion, if you're like me, you don't like to hear from prognosticators like my guest Robert Baines. After all, the Dow, S and P, and Nasdaq exchanges are near all record levels. And the dollar is strong right now, and we've more than doubled the national debt over the past few years, but to date, no major consequences. Also, what can you and I as individual citizens do to stop the rapid growth in our national debt? But having said that, I highly recommend that you get a hold of and, and read Robert Baines's novel, The Day the Dollar Died, early in this new year. You may not agree with everything he says, and you may not want to implement all of his suggestions, but certainly it won't do harm to recognize our national debt problem and to consider at least of some of Robert's suggestions for protecting your family because you don't want to be like the ostrich with his or her head in the sand. Also, in, in three years when your retirement or college savings nest egg is wiped out, you don't want to be uh, the one bemoaning, why, when I had a chance, why didn't I listen? And uh, so read Robert's book, download his free resources. At the very least, hedge your bets against the financial chaos that Robert and other wise Americans are expecting, uh, not hoping for, but uh, they're pretty inevitable. And once you've done all that, quit worrying, sit back, and let the financial game play out. And thank you, uh, Robert uh, Bain, and a most happy New Year's to you and your family. Thank you. Happy New Year to you, too. Let's all hope that Robert Baines' predictions for the future of America is wrong, <laughs> but we all need to be aware that uh, such a scenario is possible. Just look at Venezuela, and let's just hope that under the leadership of our new president and astute business person, the federal government will begin addressing our debt problem, and it's something all of us should remain diligent on and keep pressure on our elected officials because something needs to be done. But let's turn our attention to you. It's another new year, and I'm just checking in. Have you launched your personal journey to a joyful, productive, and prosperous second half of life, what we call personal midlife renewal? You know, if you're 100% certain that your life today is not all you wish it to be, yet you remain reluctant to search for something better, isn't that true of so many of us? What's your excuse? I've heard them all. Uh, how about I'm too busy right now? I know you may be overwhelmed by time constraints, lack of organization, or too many things to do, but please ask yourself, pray tell, what's more important to me than improving my life? If I'm miserable today, why do I need to remain miserable? Anyone less than fully satisfied with their normal daily routine, their career, their relationships, whatever, simply must set aside the time for self-examination and revival. 
and once you begin to make progress, you'll find yourself eager to allocate whatever time and energy is necessary to complete your renewal adventure. Here's another good one. I don't have the money. Well, guess what? You don't need to be wealthy uh, to radically improve personal circumstances and emotions. After all, your ultimate objective is not just wealth accumulation, although for far too many people that is what their objective is, but your uh, true objective should be fulfillment as a balanced, well-rounded adult. And any who fail to balance career with other essential elements of daily living most likely will continue to come up short on satisfaction and joy and service to others. But once you determine what you're really good at and uh, bring value to others at the same time, you will most certainly excel financially over the long haul. That's just pretty much a law of nature. How about the excuse, my life will change someday when? Well, this is one of the most self-destructive of all procrastination excuses because the when seldom if ever arrives, and if it does, it more than likely will be replaced by a new when. And tragically for millions nearing life's end, the end, the when turns into a regrettable if only. The bottom line is deceptively simple. Don't pin your hopes and dreams upon unrealistic, poorly defined assumptions uh, or action or thing, uh, events which you have no control over upon fate or another's initiative to accomplish your life-fulfilling objectives. The only dreams worth having are the ones you and I can make realistic plans to accomplish and then launch those plans. Sitting around with paralysis of analysis will get you nowhere. And then there's the excuse, what good would renewal uh, renewal do me anyway? I've heard that one before. You may lament, given my present modest circumstances and the negative people all around me every day, what hope do I have of positively uh, transforming my life? Others keep bringing me down. Well, as a start, I ask only that you have faith. Because more often than not, those with a freshly positive attitude are able to bring significant others along. Renewed individuals better understand their own motives and the the motives and emotions of others and can condition themselves to avoid confrontation because it takes two to tango. Frequent smiles, uh, sincere uh, concern for others, and a favorable mental attitude are all highly contagious. And perhaps worst of all, the excuse, if only, the if only excuse uses an irreversible mistake you made in the past. I quit school, for instance. Fate, I was born ugly. External circumstances, I married the wrong person or someone else's failure. Uh, My parents never taught me how to make money. Uh, We use those as a permanent excuse for not taking control and moving forward. And through twisted reasoning, we somehow hold ourselves less accountable for self-defined shortcomings and less envious of others' success if we can point the finger elsewhere or manufacture a built-in excuse. But the if-only excuse, purely and simply, is a rationalization for doing nothing, and in the extreme, it is a certain formula for reaching journey's end miserable and unfulfilled. 
and truth, the if-only excuse and its close relative, I'm not good enough, reflect deep within self-defined personal limitations which uh, may have been uh, implanted in our subconscious minds when we were small children. You know, that still small voice inside that keeps telling us we're not good enough. And these self-imposed limitations simply must be recognized first and purged afterwards. We need to uh, understand why they're there and how they got there, and then we can purge them and overcome them. But without question, you and I are deserving of lasting fulfillment on our very own terms. We possess within us untapped talents and capabilities almost beyond imagination, and it is our essential task to bring those strengths out. How about the the world is just too scary right now, be it uh, financially or uh, terrorism, whatever. But, you know, as we begin to possibly transform our lives, we become increasingly capable of challenging the future, certain or uncertain, because of a strong inner compass We will develop over time an inherent capacity to stand up to even the most challenging circumstances. By our very nature, we will uh, respond, remain calm, respond with warmth and compassion toward those less fortunate around us, and will help lead others out of a temporary abyss. Not one of us alone has power to change the world, but each one of us can certainly positively influence our little corner of it. You know, in summary, unless you're willing to take control of your life this very day, the obstacles you face today undoubtedly will remain present tomorrow. And when you think about it, the ultimate insanity is continued pursuit of a career, relationship, or lifestyle which clearly is not working for you. And before you conclude that the uh, present is a bad time for personal renewal, please remind yourself that you will never know what uh, joy and comfort uh, change might bring unless you try. <laughs> You're not going to get there without a ticket. You have to put, stick your foot in the water. And please do not wait for an immediate crisis, say divorce, job loss, serious illness, or death of a loved one to force you to examine your second half options. Get up, up, get up off your uncomfortable spot, uh, spot on life's porch and begin your diligent search for a more accommodating location. You know, my first book may help. It's called A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up by Roy C. Richards. That's a comprehensive step-by-step roadmap to your very own midlife renewal, and you can uh, preview it at Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, or through our website, MiddleAgeRenewal.com, and uh, it takes you from the point you are today to the point where you want to be. It's a fascinating, uh, lots of self-help exercises in there, and uh, it's a comprehensive roadmap for renewal, and I highly uh, recommend that you at least preview it and see if it doesn't answer some of your questions. That's a Midlife Challenge Wake Up by Roy C. Richards, available through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or our website. And every single day as we move out to face the new year, every single day presents you and me with the opportunity to move forward in joy. And uh, that's what it's really all about, isn't it? A joyful and productive second half. And tune in next week when our guest will talk about a possible new job for the new year on Middle Age 
can be your best age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 